warnings surround our everyday lives. Caution, contents are hot. Do not hold wrong end of chainsaw. Do not eat AirPods. Hidden road ahead. Do not iron while wearing. Remove your child before folding your stroller. Some are more obvious than others, right? But warnings are meant to eliminate excuses. They get rid of people ever being able to say, well, I never knew that. I didn't know that would happen. And so they are helpful. Warnings, while they might be annoying, are needed. And some are more wise than others. I'm sure some of us grew up with, quit picking your nose or your head will cave in. Quit making that face or it'll stay that way. Things like that. But they're meant to have good intentions. Stop. Don't. Avoid. Wait. Such words have frustrated us, but also helped us. Ezekiel was called to be the annoying warning guy of Israel. And when you think of prophets in the Old Testament, we don't exactly get an idea of a job that's fun. Particularly for Ezekiel, God called him to lay on his side for a year to eat food cooked over cow dung, and he told, he told him that his wife was going to die and he wasn't allowed to mourn. Hard stuff. But God called Ezekiel to give this warning to the people of God. The people of God who had just been taken into exile by the Babylonian Empire. The most prestigious Jews went to Babylon while the poorest Jews stayed in Jerusalem. The ones who were prestigious could live in their own settlements and run their own businesses and live life as normal. But you can't tell me that there still wasn't a knife inside, that they didn't have their land. Their greatest enemy had taken their land. And Ezekiel, who was supposed to be a priest, was called by God to be a prophet and tell his people the truth during this time. And so this passage from Ezekiel that Pastor Jessica just read us basically sums up to this. Warning. Sin leads to death. Warnings, even if they are annoying, are needed. The Jews were idol worshipers, commandment breakers, thieves. And God comes to Ezekiel and he says, I'm going to give you an ultimatum. No matter what, if they don't turn from their sins, I am going to punish them. But if you don't tell them, I'm going to hold you accountable. That is how weighty, that is how important God feels this warning is that needs to be shared. Warnings, even if they are annoying, are needed. But as we come to the close of this passage, we hear the people of God crying out and saying this in verse 10. Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? And we're reading this at this point. They have received the warning, and they're like, duh, 
we're sinners, but we're stuck. So being that this is a just a perfect time for a Christmas story, being that it's July, I thought we would talk about the Christmas story movie. It'd be really great of me to talk, and pastoral for me to talk about the nativity, but I'm talking about Ralphie. I'm talking about Ohio. I'm talking you shoot your eye out, kid, story. If you've ever seen this movie, Ralphie has this friend named Flick. And Flick gets dared by his friend to, in fact, triple dog dared, if you remember correctly, to stick his tongue on the ice-cold metal pole. And so he gets his tongue ready, and he sticks it on the pole, and he can't get off. In fact, he's just sitting out there yelling, stuck, stuck. And bell rings, all his classmates go inside, and he's out there flailing. Where, where's Flick at? The Israelites, the people of God, were sort of like Flick. They gave in to the peer pressure of the surrounding culture. They stuck their tongue on the metaphorical pole of sin, and they kept saying, stuck. We know we're supposed to get off, and we keep trying, but we're stuck, stuck, stuck. The people of God stuck in their sins, knowing they should be able to get off, but they can't. And God couldn't let them dwell in the promised land if they weren't willing to live up to the expectations of the promised land. Because the land had been given to him by them by covenant, they had to live up to that covenant, to that promise, right? They had to live the way that God wanted them to live. But I'll ask you this. Is the same true for us? If the book of Ezekiel shows us anything... It's that it's possible for there to be people who are set apart for God to wear this label as the people of God and yet not act and not live at the way that God has intended. So let's get real for a second. <laughs> There's a surplus of ordained Wesleyan ministers in this room. Right? We have that advantage over other congregations. And we know they're not supposed to drink alcohol. But we all know that we all have a bottle of NyQuil in the medicine cabinet for when we get sick, <laughs> right? And congregants, I know you're not dancing on Lakeview property, but I know you jumped in the cha-cha slide line at the last wedding you were at. And if not, the wedding anniversary dance, even if you've only been married for a little bit because it's cute to be out there for two seconds and then ask to get off. Obviously, these are meant to be funny. These are not serious accusations. But... Don't we treat serious ones like that sometimes? We see similar warnings in the New Testament, just like the old in terms of Ezekiel. Paul is writing to Christians, not to non-Christians, telling them to stay away from sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians chapter 5, 
verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Warnings, even if they are annoying, are needed. But somehow we've swallowed this lie that it's okay to enter into this life with Christ and not start living in the way that he has asked us to live. The word stands before us that Christianity has to be in you and not just on you. It has to be a part of you and not just something that you identify with. It's sort of like an organ transplant. In order for an organ to be able to go into the body that's receiving it, it has to fit within the expectations of that body, right? That's why we match blood type. And if it gets in there and it doesn't match up to the expectations of that body, the organ is rejected. In the same way, as we are transplanted into the body of Christ, if we cannot live up to the expectations of the body of Christ, we will be rejected. God put people who called themselves his people into exile. He will do the same thing in the future. And that's heavy. But here's the thing. I think that we know that we're sinners. <laughs> Those of us who are struggling with issues, it's not that we're unaware that we're stuck in our sins. We just don't know the way out. And so in the midst of it all, we just catch ourselves trying to trick ourselves into the idea that this is all fine. I'll just look up that thing on the computer one more time. I'm not supposed to. I'm really stressed out, so I'll take another hit, another drink, another look, another bite. I've tried so start hard to stop being angry, and I know I shouldn't scream at the people that I love, but I just can't help it. It must be a part of my personality. God knows I struggle with urges, and we love each other, so it shouldn't matter that we're not married. Sports, work, those can't be idols. If we're stuck, we need to be unstuck. God asks us to become unstuck, but how? The Jews asked, how then can we live? And God responds, verse 11 of chapter 33. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turns from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? And honestly, this is kind of a frustrating response, because it really amounts to God saying, hey, I got this really great solution for you. Just quit doing what you're doing. And you're like, wow, gee, I'm so stupid to not have thought of that. But we have to look closer at the text to get to the real meaning. And the word ways here is the Hebrew word direct. 
And we read this, we see, turn from your wicked ways, and we hear, shut down the sin factory today, close the doors, quit everything now. But a more accurate way of looking at this is quit walking towards wickedness. Start walking towards righteousness. Quit setting up ways where you're walking towards sin and walk towards God's goodness. Turn from your evil ways. And this starts to make a little more sense, but there's more. Let's continue, verses 12 through 16. And you, son of man, say to your people, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him when he transgresses. And as for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall by it when he turns from his wickedness. And the righteous shall not be able to live by his righteousness when he sins. Though I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, yet if he trusts in his righteousness and does injustice, none of his righteous deeds shall be remembered. But in his injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, though I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, yet if he turns from his sin and does what is just and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has taken by robbery, and walks in the statutes of life, not doing injustice, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the sins that he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is just and right. He shall surely live. Two things are noteworthy in this passage. First, you realize that God doesn't care about the past sins as much as he cares about the direction that you're heading. So I want to show you this with these two pillars here. This pillar represents wickedness, death, sinfulness. This pillar represents righteousness, life, holiness. And we have this idea in our heads that there's this imaginary line right here that, that God uses to judge. And if you have journeyed more towards wickedness, if you've been more on the path towards wickedness in your life than you have towards righteousness, if you're on this half of the room, then you're going into exile. And if you're on this side of the room, you've went more towards righteousness than you have wickedness, then you're going to be with the Lord. But the reality is from this text is that there's no line. God says, if I'm way over here, really close to wickedness, but I'm facing towards righteousness, that is where I'm going to end up. That is what God looks at. But on the flip side, if I've journeyed all, I have all these righteous deeds in my past, and I've gotten all the way down here, but I'm facing that, then that's where I'm going to end up. It doesn't matter where I am on the path. God cares about direction more than location. God cares about our direction more than our location. Second, it's not enough that the Israelites and the people of God just stop walking towards wickedness. Okay, God, I'm not going to go any further. God asks them to do righteous deeds in order to turn around, restoring the pledge, giving back what has stolen, doing righteous deeds. God has made it so that changing direction requires action. God cares more about direction more than location. It's not that location doesn't matter, but he looks at direction first. 
And second, changing direction requires action. If there were a possibility in the Old Testament to be able to walk towards righteousness, how much more is there a possibility to be able to turn around on the path towards wickedness and walk by the power of the Spirit towards righteousness? This is why the Lord says later in Ezekiel chapter 37, And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from them. O my people, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you you so that you can live in my land. I know you haven't been living up to the expectations of the promised land, but I'm going to put myself in you and enable you to turn around and walk towards righteousness. It doesn't matter how far down the path you are. My grace is sufficient. But sometimes... I think we get so caught up in the fact that we're all the way down this side of the path. You don't understand how wicked I am. You don't understand how much I've done. It's too impossible to be able to start living in the right way. I can't do it. Or maybe on the flip side, maybe you've just felt so secure with all of your Christian background and righteousness from your past that you are too afraid to admit that you are walking towards wickedness. And that you need to turn around. His grace is sufficient. But the reality is, is that God cares more about direction than location, right? Warnings are annoying, but they are needed. And God is asking each and every one of us, why will you die, O Christian? What way are you journeying? Are you journeying towards wickedness? Why will you die, O Christian? I'm waiting to help you turn around and take a step towards righteousness. You only need to commit and allow me to work through you. Why will you die, O Christian? God cares more about direction than our location. And so maybe God is poking at your heart this morning. That your direction isn't right. Be assured, he wants to help you. But changing direction requires action. God wants to help you take the action, but you need to decide upon it. So maybe you need to take all the alcohol out of your house. I'm going to decide to start going to counseling for my anger issues. I'm going to get an accountability partner to help me stay accountable to that issue. What is it? Something where you're walking away from your sin and starting to walk towards righteousness. Location doesn't matter. Direction does. The worship team is going to come up. And this is your time. This is your time to begin to do work with the Lord. Maybe the Holy Spirit is beginning to prompt your heart and saying, you're not going in the right direction. 
Maybe you're down this end of the path, and he's prompting you to say, I'm ready to help you turn. I know you've thought all this time that it's not possible, but it is. Maybe you're on this end, and you're just so insecure about the fact that you are journeying towards wickedness after all of this walking in righteousness. It just seems impossible. God is ready to help you turn around, but you need to decide to take an action. And so as the music plays, the altar will be open, and I invite you to come forward and commit an action between you and him to begin to walk towards righteousness. God cares more about our direction than our location, and his grace is more than sufficient in helping us to turn around and walk the way that he wants us to walk. Let's pray. Father, you have made us as people who are in need of walking in righteousness. And we don't want to admit that we are turning towards wickedness, but we have. Lord, I pray that you would empower this room, that you would empower us to be able to turn around and walk the way you would have us to go so that we can live up to the expectations of the promised land that you have made for us so that we can look and reflect like Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would rest on our hearts right now that you would begin to work and prompt us to the actions that you want to work through us so that we might look more like your glorious kingdom each and every day. Amen. The altar is open. Come as you feel led.